You're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hi, friends. I'm really glad you're joining me today. My guest is the guy from Johnny Talks. Jonathan is a personal finance blogger and podcaster from Belgium. He and I met last year in Washington, and I wanted to get him on because he has a unique approach to investing. So he's into things like crypto and peer-to-peer lending and maybe my personal favorite, parking spots. I'm always saying that most of investing is boring, And I can't think of anything less sexy than parking lot pimping, (laughs) but he's had a lot of success with it. So something I've noticed about newer investors is they often think that their investments need to be visually appealing. So to give you an example, they'll buy granite countertops when Formica countertops would have been perfectly acceptable. So they're just concerned that their hard assets are a reflection of them, and they're not. I'll give you a better example. Some people wouldn't own a trailer park because they're concerned it'll get them a nickname like Bobby D. Wayne or W.T. Tommy. (laughs) But I'm telling you, you're not going to care in 10 to 15 years. You'll be telling those same people to call you rich and they'll be like, Dick. And you'll say, no, not Richard. My name is already abbreviated. (laughs) And they'll say, well, that makes sense. So I'm telling you, trailer parks, storage units, parking spaces, all these sorts of things can be very lucrative investments. But if you want to concern yourself with what people think of what you own, that's your prerogative. But for me, as for me, <laughs> I'm more concerned with my pockets getting fatter. I need a Winn-Dixie grocery bag full of money that I can take to the VIP. You, you with me, Bobby D? <laughs> in case you're wondering, I am still in New Orleans and I do have a little bit of perhaps delirium, but it's probably just cabin fever. And that was a shout out to Lil Wayne a second ago. Speaking of shout outs, let's take a quick break so our sponsor can get in here. Why buy when you can rent an item from someone in your neighborhood with Idol? It's easy. You have an item, you list that item for rent, another app user is looking for that item and rents it from you, and you get paid. Rent everything you need, when you need it, in a location close to home. Get the app today. Visit G-E-T-I-D-L-E dot com. Idle. Rent anything. You might find this interesting. A friend of mine called me a few weeks ago because she wanted to buy a $250,000 single family home in a Houston suburb. It was a nice house, 3,000 square feet, had an outdoor kitchen, a pool, hot tub, beautifully landscaped, the whole nine. But she had planned to buy this house as a buy and hold investment. Well, comparable homes in the neighborhood were only renting for like $1,800 a month. And so I said to her, why would you spend $250,000 on a house that's only going to rent for $1,800 a month? You can buy a $150,000 house that'll rent for $1,500 a month. Think about it. You buy the $150,000 house, you have $100,000 to spare, and on that extra $100,000, you can go get a big return somewhere else. So she would have been better off buying two houses instead of one. Well, 
what we did was proceeded to buy the less expensive house, the much less sexy home, the much less visually appealing. And what I had to do was just convince her that it's not aesthetics that we're after. It's cash flow. Hey, you deposit enough money in my bank account every month. I couldn't care less if the asset providing that cash flow is hot pink with rainbows painted across the front. Remember, successful investing is more boring than sexy. Come to think of it, <laughs> speaking of sexy, it's a lot easier to get wealthy than it is to be sexy. Why is that? Because to build wealth, you only have to make a few good decisions and then resist the temptation to constantly be fiddling with your investments. Charlie Munger says the big money is not in the buying and selling, but in the waiting. It's the old argument of timing the market versus time in the market, and you want the latter. But back to being sexy. So to get sexy, you have to make decisions every day about what you're going to eat, whether you're going to work out, what type of workout you're going to do. Are you going to do sprints or are you going to do body weight squats? Whereas you can make one good decision to buy an asset that puts money in your pocket every month, then sit on your hands for 10, 15, 20 years and see the value of the asset shoot up. Meanwhile, you'll need grocery bags for all those Benny Franklins that you've got coming in. So favoring the pretty assets because they're pretty will cost you a lot of money in the long run. So don't let your, your emotions get in the way of a good deal because where it really hurts is sacrificing a ton of compounded return. If you need proof, think of this. $150,000 at just a 6% annualized return 15 years from now is $360,000. Now, what if instead you got a 6%, or I'm sorry, an 8.5% return? $150,000 at 8.5% return in 15 years is over half a million dollars. So that's a 2.5 point difference and $140,000 difference in return. Remember, most successful investing is boring. Most assets you'll want to hold for a very long time. Okay, let's get hyped for today's podcast. I find it fascinating that I've had only three guests on the podcast who've asked me not to use their last name. Would you believe that they're also the only three Europeans I've had on the podcast? So we talk about that. And we talk about the different relationship to money that Americans have versus Europeans. I tell a story about sharing my income with a friend and how that backfired. And of course, we ask fun questions at the end. I think you'll enjoy this one, folks. Now, unlike every other podcaster in the world, I'm not going to say without further ado, I'll just bring on Mr. Joni Talks. Jonathan, how are you, buddy? Yeah. Uh, hello, Brad. And uh, hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, very excited to be here. If it's all right with you, I want to start with risk. I love talking about risk. It's something that I think a lot about. And I know that you've written on your blog about some of the unconventional approaches to investing that you've taken. How do you think about risk as it pertains to personal finance and investing? The thing is, uh, I really like taking risks. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I've been talking indeed, as you say, on my blog about uh, investing in Bitcoin, investing in, uh, for example, Legos or uh, other ventures. I even... Uh, Actually, my first uh, blog post is about investing in parking spots. So it's maybe it may not be the first things people talk about or think about when investing. And uh, my take on risk is that um, I really like to take risks uh, because it makes the investing part fun. Uh, of course, uh, risks uh, may scare people off, um, but I only allocate 
uh, a small portion of my uh, investing portfolio uh, to more risky ventures such as uh, Bitcoin, for example. Uh, I'm in crypto. Uh, I'm also now um, going into peer-to-peer lending, etc. I still need to learn a bit more about it, but it makes investing uh, a fun venture. And uh, I like to dig into those sexy topics. Uh, It may not be the the ones that will make me rich uh, at the end of the day, but it's still fun to learn about it and see where this takes me. So I I like to have that, uh, to make investing fun, actually. That's the, the whole point about it. I like that, especially as long as it's a smaller percentage of your net worth or your assets. I'm, yeah, I'm, a- I'm not uh, totally crazy on this because I've been a bit in the crypto space. Sorry to, to interrupt you, Brad. Just to say that uh, you know, there's people that uh, don't have the same uh, approach and they, they go like uh, 80%, 100% of their portfolio in those ventures. Uh, this is not what I recommend, just to, to clarify that indeed. I always clarify with the same statement. I don't recommend this, but this is what I've done. I want to dig into that a little bit. So I believe too that unconventional approaches sometimes can bring you some big returns, although that's not necessarily what you after or you say it's fun and and you learn a lot along the way. But things like self-storage or trailer parks or you said parking spots is something that can be fun to invest in and have a decent return. Can you give me a, your story about investing in parking spots? How did that happen? This is when when I was living in Norway, and I had an apartment uh, which grew up in value a lot. And the thing is, I didn't really know how to tap into that additional equity. You know, the uh, my apartment almost doubled in value, and then the I wanted to use that. I wanted to tap into that, so I could. There was a few. There were a few uh, options. For example, I could sell my apartment and try to buy a bigger one, or um, so I was trying to investigate those things, and then. One thing came to my mind that, well, at the bank, it is possible to to take this equity and um, get it as a loan. So what I did is I took this loan and I used it to invest in parking spots. I mean, parking spots, it's me, it was a bit, uh, people were making fun of me a bit <laughs> at the <laughs> at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the I heard it from uh, people did that uh, yeah, in, in France, in Belgium, etc. And then I thought, yeah, well, let's do it in Norway. And the parking spots were not that expensive. So I bought two, borrowed money actually. And then I, uh, with that, uh, with those, those parking spots, I, I managed to rent them out, both of them. And this was giving me some extra income every month. How does that work? Do you put your own meters on them? Uh, no, it, basically it was um, closed garages. So it was a, a like a, a parking spot inside, a, how you call that, a garage uh, area. I mean, below a building. So basically, it was there was one like two minutes walking from my place. It was belonging to another block of apartment, actually. Can you give me an idea of how much something like that cost? It was thirty-five thousand euros. So I guess let's say uh, thirty-seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And the other one was a bit cheaper. It was uh, twenty-nine thousand euros, and uh, so let's say thirty-two, thirty-three thousand dollars. And the rent, 150 euros for each. So $170. The, I mean, if you're looking at the, um, the interest I was gaining, that was about roughly gross 5.5%, something like this. Yeah, that's a decent return. So they would pay you monthly 150 euros per spot? Yeah, per spot, yeah. And did you end up selling those or did you still hold those parking spots? 
Actually, I uh, and since I moved uh, to Luxembourg, where I live now, uh, to make things simple for my for myself, I sold them. And actually, I sold the other one uh, just last week, the second one last week. So yeah, I, I have sold them more because I have uh, moved myself, and I didn't want I, I didn't have any more ties with Norway as such. So it was to simplify and to uh, I will re reinvest the the cash from from those ventures. I have rented them out for about uh, yeah three four years. Yeah. Did you make any money? Did it appreciate at all? The one parking spot close to my place this uh, returned quite well because I managed to sell it for uh, forty eight thousand euros. So a capital gain of uh, thirteen thousand euros mm-hmm. in in what three years? So that was quite good. Yeah. And uh, the other one was a bit less because it was a larger parking uh, space so it was a bit diff- more difficult to sell it so i bought it for 29000 euros and i sold it for uh, 32000 euros so it was not that huge gain but at least i rented out for uh, for uh, 3 years so that that, uh, that was okay yeah and it was a good place to park your money for 3 years right no pun intended exactly absolutely <laughs> Well, risk is something I, I think a lot about. I don't own any Bitcoin. I do, however, own several individual stocks. In fact, I've mentioned a few of them on the podcast. A lot of tech stocks have done well, like Microsoft and Netflix. And you know, over the past 20 years or so, I think that tech stocks were undervalued because I think the internet stock bubble of 2000 created a lot of fear and a lot of hesitation. And probably rightfully so. I think the NASDAQ index, which tracks tech stocks in America, had risen fivefold from 95 to 2000. So between March of 2000 and October 2002, it dropped more than 76%, which is hard to believe, but it happened. So if you, re- if you need a reason not to invest in individual stocks, there it is. Most dot-com stocks went bust. So I don't advocate, I always say this, I don't advocate for purchasing individual stocks because it's, it's very risky. And if you venture down that road, I think, like you said, it needs to be a small percentage of your wealth. Do you invest in individual stocks at all? Yes, I do. Um, so I also have um, most of my uh, investing portfolio in the stock markets is uh, index funds and ETFs. And on top of that, yes, I, I also like to to dig into the some individual companies or uh, some dividend paying so dividend paying companies as well. So yeah, I, I, I'm for example. Uh, I have invested a little bit in Disney. I have uh, some European companies and uh, some. I bought a few uh, oil stocks um, in two thousand end of two thousand fourteen because I know they were a bit uh, at a discount. And so yeah, I have a few ones. I even have Louis Vuitton in there. So I have a few ones, and but most of it is in the in the ETFs and uh, S and P five hundred even. So yeah, I saw recently where the founder of Louis Vuitton said that. If you want to make luxury margins, you need to invest in luxury brands. <laughs> and I thought that was um, are, to your knowledge, are Europeans more likely to invest in European companies? Uh, this um, the thing is, I, I've done some research on that. Uh, I mean, not extensive, but because I was, I'm reading as well, of course, uh, uh, blogs related to my country. So. I've been following a French guy and he's talking about the S&P 500 all the time, plus some individual stocks. And I've read some others. And the thing is, since the S&P 500 is, covers such a, a huge market share, then it makes sense to invest in the S&P 500 for us too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I invest in some European companies as well as individual stocks 
just because I want to div- diversify my portfolio. Every investor should diversify, have a few American stocks or index funds and European stocks, definitely. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that most people, at least from what I've read, have a home country bias. And it really hit me when I visited mm-hmm. a buddy of mine in Germany recently. We recorded mm-hmm. a podcast and I asked him about his investments. And outside of his re- retirement plan at work, he has invested entirely in real estate. And while I thought mm-hmm. it's better to diversify and invest in the stock market too, I learned that their stock market hasn't done anything near what the American stock markets have done. As you probably mm-hmm. know, that the S&P 500 has gone up like 300% over the last 10 years. And so it's important to invest broadly. So I like to hear that you're investing in the S&P 500 too. One of the mm-hmm. arguments against investing in international stocks as an American is that you're getting international exposure when you're investing in multinational companies like Apple, like, Nat- like Netflix, um, because they, they generate revenues around the world. So do the people that you're in, your readers, are they also interested in investing in real estate or is it primarily stock driven and personal finance driven? I always, of, of course, focus on Europe uh, a bit more. For me, the most, the most important message, because in Europe, uh, at least in Norway, where I live in Belgium, people are afraid. I mean, people invest, of course, but most people are afraid to get started. And, the, you know, the stock market has still a bad uh, reputation. This, People still think about, oh, you know, I will lose all my money, you know. So mm-hmm. for me, it's more like I want to educate people and, and help uh, remove their, those uh, mental barriers to, that keeps them from investing in the stock market, actually. Can you talk about how you think about investing in personal finance differently than your average American? Because I know you mentioned living in Norway and I've heard you mention France and Luxembourg. Have you lived in all three of those countries? The thing is, what uh, what is interesting, and and of course, I'm as I said, I'm uh, listening and following uh, local blogs and then American blogs. And for example, what a topic that doesn't come so often here uh, that I don't see that much is you know like uh, student loan debt and uh, and credit card debts. It's important. Those are. Uh, I mean, student loan, it's not so much talked about here. Credit card uh, debt is not so much talked about, but it's a problem as well, but it's not so much. And the student loan debt, it's, yeah, we never talk about this because it's, you know, for example, I I went to university, it cost me less than a thousand euro per year when I was a student. So it's very, we don't think about it. You know, we start our careers and we start from zero. That's nice. So, So was it subsidized by the government? Yeah, so um, there's a part subsidized by the government depending on the country you are you're in, and sometimes it's not, sometimes it is. And for me, I'm uh, we uh, I just have a sister, so we are not considered a, an extended fam- a large family, and um, so I didn't get any subsidies from the government. But I don't know how the university is founded, but at least it doesn't cost you much. And in and if you're, for example, I know I had a buddy. He was uh, he was a fa- in a family of three kids. So I think his yearly tuition was like less than 100 euros or something. Wow. And so you yeah. worked in Norway following college uh, for 10 years. What did you get your degree in? I'm a master in uh, finance and uh, economics, actually. Okay. And is that your primary occupation today? No. Actually, I, um, I had a funny career, but the now what I'm doing my day job is uh, I work in procurement in the energy sector, in the actually renewable sector. So it's it's actually kind of a mix of uh, 
commercial role and a bit technical. But I'm, I mean, myself, I see myself more as a commercial and a more numbers-driven guy than actually a technical. But I have a good understanding of the, a broad understanding of the technical part uh, of our supply. Okay, so you mentioned working in energy. Do you think that impacted your decision at all to invest in oil companies? Well, the thing is, I knew the market a bit, uh, and I even asked the compliance uh, guy at the office uh, to to know what kind of companies I could invest in, just to be sure that I didn't uh, enter into a uh, uh, conflict of interest or, or whatnot. Um, the, my interest was that I knew that the market was a bit low at the point I entered, and so that's why I, I said, well, maybe I can get some of the stocks at a discount here because the the it seems that the market is uh, yeah is is in a downturn at the moment. So that, that's why I, I did that, and I also because I knew the companies, so I um I thought it was safe companies for the long term. The reason I ask is because I encourage people to pay attention to what's going on in their daily life. So every day, whether you're a doctor interacting with patients and pharmaceutical sales reps or you're in software and you're using a piece of software or all of your customers are using a piece of software, every day you're experiencing could potentially invest in. And as long as there's no conflict of interest, in a way you have information that a lot of people don't have. So in 07, I transitioned into software and just started paying attention to what people were doing and... For example, they were using salesforce.com. I had friends that were in the oil business that were making certain investments because they worked in the energy sector. So I encourage people to do that. And as long as it's it's not a, a large percentage of your wealth or your assets, I think that people should take some risks on information that they have that others might not have. And if you just pay attention to what people are using, those are usually stocks that do really well, right? If you used Visa or Netflix or Amazon, I mean, if you had invested in those things since you started using them, instead of dumping all your money paying to consume those things and you invested instead, you'd probably be pretty wealthy. Yeah. And the, the thing is as well, um, I don't know when it was published, but basically, you know, every year you have the, the richest people in the world. And who, who are those people? It's uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, uh, in the guy from, I forgot his name, the guy from Inditex. So basically it's uh, like Zara and stuff like this. So, in the end, all, all those products, there are companies or products we use every day. So Facebook, I'm on Facebook every day. Uh, Amazon, I don't shop every day, but at least I use it a lot. It, it, it's common thing. So it's it, Coca-Cola. It's something we, we use every day. You know, it's it's uh, those those things. You know, when you see stuff around, I like what you said. When you see when you see stuff around that works well as well, you you. Maybe you should uh, look into the numbers and see if you if it's an investment uh, for you, actually. Yep. Costco, Apple, <laughs> yeah, all those things that we use, those stocks have done really well. Um, I want to ask some questions about your blog. So do you remember the moment that you decided that you were going to start a blog and what prompted it? When I was sent to, to uh, Paris um, from my company, it was an expat assignment and... This allowed me to get uh, free housing in Paris. I rented out my apartment in Norway at the same time. And I also had the parking spot still uh, yeah, making money. So it was a good place to be because uh, I got also a bump uh, of salary. So it was a place, you know, basically my housing costs were zero uh, during that year. 
and it's also when I started to dig into uh, information about, uh, yeah, okay, well, what do we do with this extra money? So I wanted to to use it to the best effect. I mean, of course, you know, when you, you, you make uh, extra money, of course, I could have been like traveling a bit more or spending uh, design, spending on designer clothes or drink, parting, uh, drinking champagne on the Champs-Élysées, whatever. <laughs> but instead of that, um, I mean, I, I did have my glass of wine now and then, but uh, instead of that, I, um, no, I was, I was, I started to read blogs and uh, listen to shows about how to, to, yeah, to get to get better with finance or how to use extra money, uh, and so this is how I started my journey, really to um, to read, to try to uh, summarize it for myself, and this bit by bit, after a few months, led me to start the the blog Journey Talks actually. Okay, so you started from a place of abundance rather than scarcity, because a lot of personal finance bloggers. I see are $76,000 in debt and they blog their way through it and update their net worth. Uh, but you started from a good place where you had some extra money and you wanted to invest it. For me, it's a bit reverse. Uh, luckily, I'm trying to stay, <laughs> come from a place of abundance I'm, and I'm staying there. But still, uh, it, it doesn't mean that um, when, you're, uh, when you're doing well or you, you're, you're in a happy place, that you uh, do not need financial education. Uh, to me, you still need... Uh, pointers uh, to to help you guide through um, using your money wisely. I agree. I've read where you view money as a tool that's that's often misunderstood. Why do you say that? For example, I was telling earlier about people afraid of investing in the stock markets, or you know, it, it's more about the mental the the mental blocks or the uh, the stuff the, the the things we've heard when we grew up. You know, money is bad. Money is Oh yeah, rich people are bad, or uh, the stock market is risky. It's it's for rich people. It's more about this this kind of ideas that I want to as well discuss in my blog and to say, look, money is money as such should not be the the end. It's a means to a good life. It's a mean if you use it well. It's a it's a tool that will help you create maybe the life you want. Uh, it's one of the aspects of life, but at least I want with my blog to focus on that aspect and try to help people get a healthier relationship with money. I like that. So what is your end goal? The main idea is to, to be financially free, that all my expenses are covered. Um, whether it's through passive income or active income, it doesn't matter, but that at least I have no worries. I don't want to have worries and I want to focus on, for example, continuing on my blog and developing my podcast. I want to do that, uh, whether it brings me money or not. I, I, I don't want to think about it. So be debt-free, mortgage-free, uh, and have passive income covering my uh, daily expenses. And of course, I want to do to continue on my ventures and of course, do try to use it um, try to use the money I have for doing good as well and uh, helping others uh, with their, in their journey. And yeah, live a good life and travel as well, a bit like you do. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe more in uh, Europe and uh, a few occasional uh, long trips, but uh, yeah, mostly be flexible in my life and uh, yeah, try to help others. How far are you from financial independence? I still have a few years to go uh, because I am... Um, I, have, I still have a mortgage, I, um, which I'm working on, and I still have uh, I have my day job. Um, so I, I think, for me, I see that I, uh, I I need a few more years, and I, and I think ten 
10 to 15 years, which I'm trying to reduce or think about ways to, to try to reduce that, but at least 10 to, 10 to 15 years. So are you aggressively paying down your mortgage? Uh, aggressively or you're yeah, finding schemes to to make uh, to invest in other venues which give me a better um, return uh, for example peer-to-peer lending this is something i'm investigating right now also making um, investments that will help me pay it down faster yeah okay and so are you trying to live on a small percentage of your income every month uh, I, I try to live a reasonable i mean i'm frugal in general um, and I try to, I mean, not extremely frugal, but I try to make mindful expenses. So I, I want, I don't want to live like, uh, eating uh, rice, beans, uh, rice and beans every week day. I mean, I could do that, but I'm not there yet. I still have, um, I still want to live like, uh, yeah, comfortable, not, not lavish. I mean, like even when I was in Paris, for example, where I could have lived lavishly, I didn't. I mean, I still ate the same food. I still went to the restaurant maximum once a week. I mean, I I didn't change my habits when I was in such a good place. And, and now I still have the same habits. I, I think I still have kind of my same weekly budget as, uh, as 10 years ago. So it's, I mean, I just live, I try to make a saving where I can. I don't want to overthink it because I don't like to, to live like, a, I don't want to make huge sacrifices mm-hmm. for now. As a new blogger, do you find it hard to be specific with numbers? So I notice a lot of bloggers share their net worth or their monthly expenses, their monthly budget, but I notice you haven't really gone into detail other than the parking spots. So like when I ask what percentage of your income or, or I asked how much, how did I ask the question? <laughs> Are you trying to live on a certain percentage of your income? Is, is that like 20% of your income or is that like 50% of your income? I struggle. I don't share my net worth online. I haven't, I'm not there yet. So I wonder if we're yeah. alike in that regard. What do you think about that? I'm comfortable sharing that I, for example, I think my, my monthly expenses are about, I mean, yeah, it's about 25% of my income max, I think. Wow. Yeah. And it's not, uh, and honestly, I go to, as I said, I go uh, to, the, uh, I mean, I, I go for a beer, I go to the restaurant, I eat well, but I have some cheap expenses. For example, I live, I live close to work, so I walk to work. I, I even, um, the, the canteen, the food at the canteen is quite cheap. I, it's like two or three euros a day. So it's, you know, I have a few things that uh, keep expenses low uh, without thinking too much. I mean, my, my phone bill is paid by the company, etc. Uh, so this all helps, and I have a cleaning lady even, so it's it's not, uh, I mean, I, I I just don't live uh, lavishly. I mean, I even went to Malta last weekend. You know, I spent maybe 300 euros on that. You know, it was my fun, uh, it came from my fun account. So, you know, it, it's pretty all right. Regarding uh, numbers on net worth, I haven't put them yet. I mean, um, maybe I've touched upon it quickly in the, uh, in the, in my, art, in my book review on the millionaire next door, but I haven't, uh, I don't think I put a specific number. Uh, the reason why I'm doing this is, is mostly because, I don't know, it's maybe safety or, I don't know, maybe some mental blocks. I don't know if it's, uh, uh, because, you know, we don't have this, maybe, I don't know if it's European or Belgian to not share too much. I mean, I don't know. So it's, uh, I'm a bit still as well, not insecure, but uh, with my friends, I don't have a trouble, but to put it online, I don't know, it's maybe a big step for me, even though I'm not uh I mean, I'm not read by millions yet, so uh, still, it's, I don't know. 
Yeah. I will, this is something I will see. I will consider maybe later. I know some European guys uh, that I follow; they do it. But well, you're the second European guest that I've had, and the first one wouldn't even allow me to use his last name. So I I think it is a Euro thing, probably based on the history of Europe. If I had to guess, my impression. In the, and actually, I have a personal finance book from a Belgian guy, and he says in one of the first pages, he said, oh, yeah, we really have a different mentality than Americans. Um, to us in Europe, it looks like Americans, they have a more um, open relationship to money and that they are more open about uh, asking questions. Hey, what do you work in? Yeah, okay, I'm a marketing manager. Okay, cool. How much do you make? You know, this is our impression. It might be wrong. It might be true. Uh, it's not that direct. I mean, as I've, I mean, we've met at FinCon. I mean, people don't ask your salary like this, but I have the, the impression that it's more widely accepted to talk about money in the US than in Europe. This is my impression at least. I think so too. It's a newer phenomenon. My experience mm -hmm. with it, I never shared my income or anything until I was probably 30 years old. So I have these different groups of friends and one group in particular who was a pretty good friend of mine he and his friends shared their income among each other. And mm -hmm. he was at my house one day and we were chatting about our jobs. And I thought, you know, I know they all share their income with each other. I'm going to share mine. And that was mm -hmm. one of the biggest mistakes that I've made. He and I oh. have grown slowly apart since then. He is the, he's the jealous type. And as long as you don't make too much more than your friends, I think it's, it's okay but mm -hmm. he uh, has a master's degree and we very much value credentials in America, probably mm -hmm. more so than we should. And so he thought he was a lot smarter than me. And for me to make a lot more money than him, he thought was ridiculous. So you have to be very careful about who you share your income with. Uh, but there's a reason that for a long time... I agree time, with that, yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to say, well, well, you know, and then you look at uh, some of our friends at FinCon, which are making, I don't know... Uh, like thousands of, I mean, like 10,000 uh, just because they have a YouTube channel. I mean, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, and they, they may not, I mean, I have a degree in, um, uh, in finance, which is great. It's a high, it's a good credential to put on my CV, but I mean, the, in the end, I don't make as much as the, the guy that posts uh, three times a week on YouTube just, just because he has a, another good business idea. You know, the thing is, I learned as well with the years to not be resentful and to say, well, look, awesome. But that came as well with some, uh, uh, yeah, it took years and it took some work on myself to, to be like, oh yeah, that's awesome. And a few years back, it would be like, yeah, okay, yeah, he, he's stupid. Uh, yeah, he makes a video. Yeah, it's easy. I could do that as well. But in the end, okay, he has a better idea than me to make money at least. Whether I have a credential or not, to me, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's important to me, but it's, Depending on what you value it for, it doesn't matter or it matters, you know? So, yeah. So in, in Europe, uh, regarding this resentment or sharing your salary, to go back to the topic, I uh, have shared my salary with, uh, I mean, when I was in Norway, we had a few colleagues because we needed to discuss. And then, okay, we could talk for hours here about this, but uh, because I have another point, but uh, that salaries were uh, publicly um, shared online in Norway. Um, and so it was as well easy to, to, to discuss it in Belgium, for example, one year and a half ago, before I moved to Luxembourg, I shared my salary with some close friends from university and I was looking for similar jobs as them. So 
we discussed it. They said, oh, yeah, I earn so much. I have a company car. I have this and that. Uh, so at least to help me. But these these were my close friends I know, I've known for 20 years. So you here at my current job, people are trying to hint, but they don't. It's less, it's more... Uh, uh, they're more tacit about it, so it's not as open as I had in Norway with my colleagues or with my close friends. So it really depends. Yeah, the rise of openly sharing your salary has coincided with the rise of sensitivity in America. So that's probably yeah. <laughs> not good sharing your salary with people who aren't going to take it well. And with regard to your point, sharing your salary. Or, or I'm, I should say not sharing your salary only benefits your employer, <laughs> right? I mean, if you're sharing yeah, what it is correct. That you take based on your experience, the problem is people don't accurately gauge how valuable they are to the marketplace. That mm -hmm. happens all the time. So I traveled the world for a year and then considered going back to work. And the jobs that I was offered were I was being offered the same amount of money who because people shared their salary openly before I left, I was being offered the same amount of money that somebody who was not competent was making. And so because oh. I knew salary information of others, it was easy for me to turn down that amount of money. I mean, it told me yeah. that, well, you don't value my skill set or my time or anything. So I'm going to start a blog and I'm, you know, I'm now doing <laughs> so and traveling the world and enjoying it. So I'm very blessed and lucky that those people were not willing to offer me what I felt like I was worth. Um, what about the keynote speaker at FinCon? Did you get a chance to attend Ramit's talk? Man, I was I was so pumped when I saw he was coming. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Ramit. No, the thing is, I I, I, I uh, bought my ticket for FinCon in May, and I think like two weeks later, I see yeah, we welcome Ramit Sethi. I'm like, wow, this is awesome! My first <laughs> FinCon and. I, and I meet and I meet one of my financial heroes. So yeah, I was uh, I was very I was very happy to to meet him to get my book signed and everything. Um, so yeah, I was uh, and the speech um, he gave to me it was not nothing of a surprise because I've been following the guy actually since I started my journey like in Paris. So that was actually three years ago to put a timeline. Uh, so I have been reading his stuff and then I've been more into his stuff. And I really, what I really like about him is, um, okay, he's a bit uh, kind of nerdy and he likes his systems. He has uh, some quirky jokes. Uh, but besides that, uh, what makes him interesting to follow is the, is that he always brings in the psychology uh, in, in his, it's not only about money and the financial mechanics or like, yeah, invest in the stock markets. You will, it will return you seven percent or eight percent or whatever. It will. Uh, it's. It's about yeah. Why don't you? I mean, he, he talks about or money scripts or uh, what we've been told a bit. What I was talking about earlier, like what we've been told since childhood. What how we are. Um, I don't know um, how we are. Yeah, how, how the brain works or the psychology can work for or against us when dealing with money and other aspects of life. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm a big fan, and uh, I still follow. I'm subscribed to his uh, to his uh, newsletter, etc. It's uh, quite interesting. Yeah, I like that he gets into psychology too. One of the things that I'm a big proponent of is the fact that I mean, I call what we're living through now the golden era of self-directed learning. So there are so many disciplines that you can learn today for free, like basic math, like writing, uh, like you and I are doing. 
uh, persuasion, mm-hmm. psychology, managing your emotions, uh, building relationships. I know that you're a fan of How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I'm a huge fan of that mm-hmm. book. Also, I, it gets mentioned on this podcast quite a bit. One of Ramit's uh, quotes, I believe, did I read this quote on your blog where he talked about getting rich isn't about one silver bullet or secret strategy? Is that on your blog? Yes, uh, correct. So this, uh, I, I made a review of his book, uh, I Will Teach to Be Rich. And um, this is a quote I end up my, um, so I make a summary of, uh, of my findings. And then this is the quote I put that comes from his book. And, uh, and actually, I reread it yesterday, the, the passage where that comes from. Uh, it, it's from, uh, he, he explains how one lady, one of his readers, has negotiated her salary. So it's about research, it's about comparing, it's about uh, be proactive, etc. So there's a, quite a few steps. And then he puts this passage at the end of the, the chapter where he says, yeah, well, becoming rich is not a silver bullet. You don't come rich overnight. And people may seem... I'm not. I'm butchering it a bit, but I'm trying to give the idea that people may see a, see an overnight success, uh, just and they like, oh wow, it's amazing. It happened overnight, but no, actually, it's the result of a disciplined action. It might be boring action, but it, it's a result of a, of a few uh, steps you've taken. So it can take years, it can take uh, months, but it's not. Things don't happen just like that. That's right. He says it's the behind-the-scenes work that, that really makes you rich. It reminds me of when you see the iceberg. I'm sure you've seen this picture where they show the, the piece of ice sticking out of the water and then un, under the yeah, water, sure, yeah. all the times you've fallen on your face and gotten rejected and didn't make the sale and had a, an investment that lost 90% of its value. So, yeah, I love all that stuff. And I have read I Will Teach You to Be Rich. I've got, I've got several copies if anyone listening would like a copy, if you will leave a comment in the show notes and let Jonathan and I know what you liked or hated about this episode, I will send the book to you. <laughs> so um, if you're interested, it is a good read. <laughs> um, do you have any other quotes that you live by? 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bowline, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. And why I like that quote um, is just because you need to do, you live only once. I mean, not uh, in a YOLO spirit, but I mean, make the best of your time here on this planet um, and, and do do things that you don't, will not regret. I mean, live with regret later. I mean, do stuff. I mean, like, for example, this is also what pushes me to to launch a podcast. I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be a success or not. I don't care. I want to do it. You know, I want, and then I, if I record 50, 100 or 300 episodes, it doesn't matter. I mean, I will have something. I will have done something. I will have, what can I say? I will have gained experience. I would talk better. I will make friends like Brad now. I mean, this is an experience. I mean, don't say yes to experiences. For example, I also play music as a hobby. And of course, I'm, uh, I've been playing on stage, etc., with friends or at my previous job, we had a band. You know, these are all opportunities. So, so just say yes to things, to, to experiences, to, yeah, to live life more fully and to have accomplished something and not be at, uh, you know, end up at 80 years and looking back at your life and say, oh, yeah, I should have done this. I should have done that. Yeah, just dream, explore. Um, so take a trip, you know, like uh, ask a lady to date. Live your life. I mean, don't be afraid. Try to invest in the stock market. Experience it. You know, like 
invest, for example, and you know, you can start slowly. You can take steps towards where you want to go. I know I'm, I'm a bit going in all directions here, but basically it's to get started with something, with a project or, or anything you, you want to do. Man, do I agree with that. <laughs> I've noticed the caliber of my yeah. friends group has increased as a result of having a podcast. <laughs> so that's one of the side benefits that I was not expecting. Here's why I think you make fast friends when you have someone on a podcast. Unlike if you and I were having dinner, our phones are nowhere near us where we could access them quickly. And the reason is because we need to focus on the conversation. So it's almost like a meditative experience that we're having together where we are completely <laughs> focused on this conversation, right? Because we know it's going to be recorded. Thousands of people are going to hear it. And so we don't want to make a terrible impression. Yeah, I, I think you become a better communicator as a result of having a podcast. If you want to think better, start writing. If you want to, if you want to write better, share it publicly. If you want to learn to communicate better, give more presentations. I was in sales, so I tried to get in front of as many people as possible. And as a byproduct mm -hmm. of doing yeah. that, going to communicate better. You're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have people criticize you, but wonderful. I take criticism as feedback and data to be considered. So I'll make adjustments accordingly. If it's somebody that I respect that gives me feedback, that's good. I will start incorporating it into the podcast to make it better. And I'm here only as a service to other people. I'm not concerned about making money. I just ask that. I just, I just want to provide value to people. My ego's not in the deal. So take what's helpful, discard the rest, give me feedback. I love it all. So I love what you said there, man. That's great. Um, and as far as, so I was having this conversation with a buddy at lunch recently. I was telling him that my wife and I are planning to buy an investment property soon. And historically, I have purchased real estate with cash, but we are going to put 20% down and buy an investment property. And I was telling him that I was a little hesitant to do that. And he said, what are you worried? What are you scared of? 10 years from now, you're 50. And I had never thought of it that way. And when he put it in those terms, <laughs> I'm like, God, 10 years from now, I'm 50. I mean, that's, that's gray hair or no hair and you're on the downside. So why not take some chances? So um, I'm not a big oh, yeah, fan of, of leveraging, you know, taking on a lot of debt to, to make investments, but this is one that I'm willing to do. I have a bunch that are paid off, so I'm going to take a chance. All good info, man. That was a great discussion. Um, I read your recap of FinCon and I thought you did a great job with it and I'll link to it in the show notes. One of the things that you oh, said thanks. that I highlighted was be yourself and own it. And you encourage people to quote, be yourself, be unapologetic of who you are and what you stand for, that we're all weird in our own way. So just be yourself. Dude, that is powerful. Where, how did you come up with mm -hmm. that? How do you think about that? probably it's life experience in general but you know the thing is as well with the blog maybe it helps a bit to reflect more as you say thinking but it, re it reflects more and as well uh, you know because when you blog and you know we were there 2,500 people as well you know people don't, they don't want to, to read 2,500 of the same blogs or the same stuff they want to hear your story they want to hear you uh, or the, your unique sites or unique um, yeah, advice or whatever. So I think people want difference. People want to see that. So just be yourself. I mean, because if I'm not Jonathan, if I'm going to be like Brad, if I'm going to host a show like you do, then what, what, there's no need for two Brads. <laughs> I mean, there's no need for two men overseas. And, and we cannot be 
it's better to be weird because there will be a market for you. There will be people for you. There will be friends for you. They, I don't know. And as well, it costs energy to try to make you look like somebody else. So why not just be yourself, be your own weird self, whatever it is. I don't know if uh, it's just um, my experience in life and just be yourself and don't be afraid because many, maybe people sometimes they're in certain circles, they're like, or in certain, you know, if I go to my job and maybe you see people behave a bit differently. I'm like, yeah, come on, just be yourself and make that joke. Uh, I mean, I mean, stay professional in certain areas, but at least, yeah, you know, be yourself, express yourself. It, it's what makes life fun. And it's what, as well, people learn from each other. Because if we all behaving the same way, then where's the progress? Live an authentic life. Live true to your values. It's uh, It doesn't matter what other people think. I don't know. It's Go against the grain if that's your thing. To me, being myself, for me, what the benefit is that uh, I try to be that as much as possible and remove social filters. And it makes me happy. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah I, I try to be aware of that and... Uh, because otherwise you conform yourself too much and I don't know, maybe you, you deprive yourself of some stuff, so of some freedom. That's a bit my idea of it. <laughs> yeah, I get compliments on the blog sometimes for authenticity. And one of the things that you and I probably don't realize is when you are yourself and people compliment you for authenticity, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's weird. Like, well, how else would I be? <laughs> but then... yeah usually explained to me, well, most people are just walking around with masks on at all times. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's a lot of fakery out there. Let me ask you some fun, quick questions, if that's all right. And then we'll wrap yeah. up. Good. So if you had to, which part of Norway did you live in? Uh, when I lived there, I lived in Oslo, the capital. Oslo. Okay. I've flown into Oslo and taken a train to Bergen. And it was one of oh. the most beautiful trips I've ever been on. Yeah, I did that with my sister. It's beautiful. And it was like uh, seeing the four seasons in one uh, train ride. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So if you had to live in Paris or Oslo, which would you choose? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, both cities are different. What I liked about Paris is that it was close to my family because I could take a train for one hour and then uh, a second train to go to Belgium, which and it took me one hour and a half to go to my family. So that I really liked. Paris is convenient, it's central, and the food scene is great. The wine scene is great. Uh, Oslo has its perks as well, so it really depends on your lifestyle because Oslo, for example, is at the sea. It's a bit more quieter. It's uh, it's more, um, how can I say? It's, um, yeah, it's a smaller city center, but it still offers a lot, and you can go, you have more uh, easy access to outdoor experiences. So from the city center, you can even take a metro to go to the to go to ski or to take a walk in the woods. And uh, so it's, it's a different styles, but I mean, my style, I would be more like inclined to, to live in, if I had the choice, since I lived in Oslo already, I would go for Paris. Mm, which is more expensive. Do you think Bruges is probably the most visited place in Belgium? Would you agree? I agree. And it's the place I recommend to everybody to go. If you go to, if you're planning on a visit on, uh, to Belgium, whatever, whatever time you have, at least, Put Bruges in your in your trip, yeah, in your journey. And for people who don't know, Bruges is spelled B-R-U-G-E-S. Is that right? Yes, I don't know the English version, but I think that's uh, at least that's uh, that sounds correct to me. Okay, where would you suggest someone visit in Belgium besides Bruges? No, so I mean, what I uh, okay, Bel- Belgium is um, 
is a special country. It's my country. I love it. But for tourists, I always advise uh, Bruges, uh, Brussels, to have a tour. Uh, we have some nice nature, uh, like more south, like the Namur region, and then going into the, the forest uh, area, which is called Les Ardennes. And then as well, I, I am, I live my, I mean, my parents live at the seaside, which is very nice. It's nice to take a walk and to, to enjoy it. And as well, then there's Antwerp, which is uh, quite nice. It's uh, probably one of the nicest uh, cities as well in Belgium. It's, it's uh, 1 million people. So it's quite a large city. Uh, it's uh, good for shopping and uh, for eating. So I would recommend Brussels, Bruges, Antwerp. If you have time, go, uh, go take a walk in the Ardennes because it's quite nice and, uh, very nice sceneries and walking in the woods if that's your thing and then if you have time and if you you can go to the sea to the to the seaside to experience the seaside have a long have a walk along the beach that's a that's a great a great great place to be okay what is the most you've ever spent on a hotel room the most of i don't know i think uh i would think close to 300 dollars i think that's not too bad how old are you yeah uh, I think I'm the same age as you, so I, I'll turn uh, 39 in November. Okay. Ever married or no? No. No. Okay. If someone dropped a million euro in your lap tomorrow, what would you do with it? Oh, that's funny you ask because I just, while well, uh, preparing my podcast, I have the same question with 10 million euros. So with 1 million euros, probably I, um, I think I'll, I'll just... Um, continue to work a little bit for my current employer. I, I think I'll pay off the mortgage and I think I'll just um, get started. Uh, I'll continue blogging and podcasting. And I think I'll just continue with that, trying to live off uh, that money, actually. Live off the dividends of my investment, which I would do with that money and, uh, and or invest. I, I would do some, uh, we need to do some additional research here to just to find out uh, what exactly I will I will want to do if I want to invest in any, in another rental property, buy it cash or with leverage. I don't know. I will see. But at least I will work a bit more. Then uh, I, w- I will slowly transition and trying to expand on the blog and the podcast because then I will try to do experiment to do that full time and see where it takes me. Who is yeah. your dream guest on your podcast? If you could have one guest. Uh, I probably, I would think, Tim Ferriss himself. <laughs> ah, and you would ask him about podcasting? I don't know what I would ask him. I think I would, I think I would have a three-hour episode and talk about everything. <laughs> the people that you met at FinCon, were there any blogs that you didn't read before you went to the conference that you are now reading? Uh, the thing is, one that is on my list, uh, and I started to listen to the podcast, is Afford Anything. So Paula Pant, I know she's a big name, but... Um, Actually, I never read anything from her, so I started to listen to a few episodes from uh, from her podcast, and uh, I listened to your show, of course, <laughs> in preparation of this. I like to to stick to a few uh, blogs because otherwise I'm I'm reading, 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 and I don't produce anything. Mm-hmm. But it, but like uh, having the podcast is great because now, for example, in preparation of talking to you, okay, I read your article on the Porsche. I uh, listened to a to an episode. And I will do the same with every guest. So it opens. So I will do that with every guest, actually. Yeah, it's a great way to learn. Which episode of mine did you listen to? I listened to the one with uh, Rethink the Rat Race. Oh, cool. Yeah, James Lowry. That was a great episode. Yeah, I enjoyed exactly. it very much. Yeah, yeah. I keep in touch with him. He and his wife moved to Cyprus, you know, the island. Yeah, I, uh, he's, he's telling of, uh, 
he's telling a bit about it on the on the show. And no, actually, I met him, but then uh, I mean, we didn't go into details, but I, I met him as well at FinCon. So now I, I said, oh yeah, it's that guy. Yeah, okay. So he lives in Cyprus. So that, that's funny, you know. Yeah. One more question before I ask how people can connect with you online. If you could go to the moon, but it would cost you a third of your assets, and you had to be mm-hmm. gone for six months and leave your job, yeah. would you would you mm-hmm. go? No. You wouldn't go, huh? No, I, I, because it's it's not something I care about to go mm-hmm. to the moon. So it's more like. Uh, um, this, this doesn't excite me. So then I'm like, nope, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> the upside of going for me would be the solitude. So I enjoy being alone, which you must too, right? If you're going to write, do you like solitude? Do you like being alone? Uh, I can, I can be alone for a while, but, uh, for example, and, and if I write, okay, then I need to be alone or uh, undisturbed, but I don't need to go to the moon. I mean, like, I'm fine with being in an apartment or in a coffee shop with a headset. That, that, that's, that's good enough, you know? That's cool. <laughs> the first person I asked that question to, he said, it's on my list. <laughs> and with a, he was dead serious. How can people connect with you online? Yeah, so everything is on um, johnnytalks.com. So Johnny Talks, like the expression money talks, but with a J. So like a pun between my name and the expression money talks. So J-O-N-E-Y-T-A-L-K-S.com. Everything is there. And I'm on uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Johnny Talks. I really appreciate you joining me, Jonathan. Great chat. That was, uh, it was great. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'll take us out. Thank you, friends, for joining us. It means a lot to me that you would take time to listen. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. And as always, let's do big things together. Thank you, folks. 